Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What better day than Anzac Day to delve into the myths and tropes that surround Australia's identity? Wayne McCauley's novella, Simpson Returns, is the perfect vehicle to explore who we are and where we are heading today as a nation. So welcome, uh, Wayne, (laughs) welcome to 3CR. Thanks for having me. The alliteration on the W got me there. Mm. Now, let's begin with Simpson, the real Simpson. Who was he and what is his significance? Well, the real Simpson, well known to us as um, Simpson and his donkey, uh, was a guy called uh, uh, John Simpson Kirkpatrick, who actually was a pom, who, who was a Brit and um, from uh, from South Shields in England, um, headed off on some did a uh, merchant sailor sailed the world, uh, ended up in Australia, um, jumped ship in Australia, sailed around uh, sort of coastal um, coastal merchant vessels for a while, jumped off in Perth. Around about the time that the war broke out, around about the time the call went out for young men to go and fight overseas, and. Um, so Simpson, as he became known to his mate, Simpson um, um, joined up and was transported via Egypt to Gallipoli, to the shores of Gallipoli. And sort of then um, earned his reputation bringing in the wounded on the back of a donkey. Well, that's right. And there are multiple variations on, on, on how that story came back to us here. <clears throat> and there are multiple stories sort of surrounding it. But in essence, um, I suppose the purest telling of the story would be that um, shortly after the landings, um, uh, John Simpson Kirkpatrick uh, was a stretcher bearer with the third field ambulance and bringing down the wounded to the beach. And, um, and one day he spotted a, a donkey, which apparently um, was, were owned, there were a bunch of donkeys there owned by an Indian regiment. Um, and uh, anyway, he asked her to use one, and um, and he began to use it as transport, essentially through the pretty treacherous terrain, hmm. through the gullies down to the beach. Started to bring wounded soldiers down on on, on this donkey. But we've mythologised Simpson because the real Simpson, as I understand it, sort of apart from jumping ship, uh, there were some other nefarious things about his. Well, it depends what you mean Reputation. by nef- depends what you mean by <laughs> nefarious. He did what he um, needed to do to survive. That's right. He did what he did to survive. I mean, from my readings around him, I mean, the act actually of 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 taking this donkey and uh, and bringing bringing some wounded troops down was actually an act of desertion. And in other words, it was not under orders that he did mm. this. He chose to do this himself. He was a resourceful young man who kind of had his own, you know, sort of hoed his own row, I suppose. He was, uh, um, well, already from that history of him, he's clearly uh, an independent thinking Mm. person. Um, So he, yeah, so he was, um, you know, I suppose in some versions, you know, he was a troublemaker, he was a larrikin, and in this, you know, particularly in military terms, he was maybe maybe even a deserter. Um, The mythologising of him came later. 
But that's the essence of, of the story as we know it. But this is then what you pick up on. You're not here to tell the story of Simpson, but rather to use that myth in order to further your story. And so we have a Simpson who, uh, some 90 years after he was shot uh, at Gallipoli, is um, searching for the inland sea, for Lassiter's Reef. How did that come about? There's, <laughs> there's a meeting in your... In your <clears throat> well, it's called, I suppose, novella. David, it's called a leap of imagination, and that's, I guess, what writers do. That's what, we, that's what we're trained to do. That's <laughs> what we like to do. Um, it's certainly what I like to do, um, to take known facts and to, and to drill down into them to see what else might be there. So like I said, that's the known facts. So I'm leaping off uh, known facts into an imaginative world, into a, a different imagining uh, of who Simpson is. But I suppose what's important before I sort of, you know, we take, we take my imagining is, is that in between the story I've just told about the real guy, there is this mythologizing. And this mythologizing lifted this guy, Simpson and his donkey, up into some kind of transcendent, uh, heroic uh, story that became something else. It's that story, I suppose, that I've leapt off. Um, and it's that story that starts to riff on uh, a whole bunch of Australian myths, Myth. but also a whole bunch of sort of ideas about who we are and where we're going. So this Simpson, the sort of mythological Simpson that you have here, I will tell you, of the patients I have met, the afflictions I have seen, the stories I have heard, so that future generations might one day stand my story up against the sanctioned ones and see where their sympathies lie. So you bring to life this myth of Simpson, but he meets other myths. Uh, he's met Lassiter at Gallipoli, and that starts him off on this notion that he must find the inland sea where this reef of gold is. So that's right. These are, these are, you know, these are only straw, small stretches of the imagination. Chronologically, it was kind of possible um, that uh, the famous Lassiter, who apparently discovered Lassiter's reef, um, which was a reef of gold somewhere in the outback that was going to be worth millions, um, could possibly have been at Gallipoli. Of course, there's no f factual evidence for that. But again, I'm riffing on the, I'm riffing on ideas, and I'm certainly riffing on ideas that we that, that have been a strong thread in Australia about this about this kind of utopia, whether it be Lassiter's Reef, whether it be the inland sea, um, you know, all these sort of ideas about some some other utopian view of the of the of the interior that, that and speaking that we, of utopia then there is a book that simpson carries with him and the name of that book is um that's the lucky country by donald horn in a penguin paperback edition with a dog ear in it as simpson notes that the story is narrated of course by simpson himself it's a first person story but even that book is mythological in well status. it's become mythological i mean i mean we've completely mythologized that title which is which is crazy because i mean the book itself it was it was almost a, a lashing of, of, of australia uh, and and as to as to that we that we are potentially that is to say horn was saying a lucky country but we've we've you know we're abusing our luck and i think that's that's what's so relevant well the full line well. is australia is a lucky country run by run mainly by second rate people who share its luck that's exactly what horn said yes. and um, and yet somehow that 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 title has become again a utopian view of the yes, country yes we, we look at the first part of the phrase mm. and not the second and not I mean, the 
second. It's particularly relevant prior is, to an election. <laughs> and it is, re- it is very relevant to the times uh, we live in, absolutely. But it goes then to that very essence of a, a country's identity because we believe in these myths. We move forward on the back of these myths. I think, um, you know, I think over 230-something years of white history here that we, we have needed to find a way to plant ourselves in this land that gives us, whiteies, meaning. And I, I, don't, I, think that's, I think that's something that it underpins a lot of the kind of cultural talk that we have about ourselves, that we have to sort of find great stories to tell ourselves um, because essentially as a white country, we're a very young country. Very, very, a very white and young country overlaid, you know, against over a very ancient country with big stories, with huge stories um, about uh, about land and about people. So I don't know. We've I, this is just my personal view, and you know, the listeners can argue with it if they like. But I feel that a part of the stuff I'm digging into with this book is is us mythologizing to ourselves out of necessity. So we call ourselves the lucky country, despite Horn's almost whiplashing sat- satirical view, actually, of of Australia in the fifties and sixties. Um, that we that we 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 turn these failures into mythological successes. And in well. The myth is what sustains a nation in many ways, an identity. Absolutely, yes. But your novella, in some ways, is a lament uh, for this lost myth of what these myths are supposedly meant to represent. I lament every day the Australia that could have been. <clears throat> I'm talking about the white uh, Australia laid over um, Indigenous Australia, about the Australia that could have been. I think that's... Um, that's something that, and particularly over the, over the past decades, as I've grown into an adult, a mature, wise, overlooking person of seeing uh, what this country is and who I am in it and so on, I just feel that we are a land of not utopia. We are a land of missed opportunities. Well, you start going through in the chapters then that, that follow this opening uh, – are several characters, and, and um, poor Simpson can't get to the inland sea because he constantly gets stopped on the way on his quixotic journey by people he's ministering to and treating. And the first one is the ruined woman, Shelley Jakes, a rather unfortunate situation, uh, abandoned, etc., and put into the social security system. Shelley Jakes held out as long as she could. She tightened the belt at home and made the kids go without. She delayed her bill paying. She rang her parents for help. They had never been close, but they just gave her the usual lecture about standing on her own two feet. Eventually, she made made an appointment with a lawyer recommended to her by the social welfare woman. Garrison Moore sent her home with some brochures and forms and told her to make another appointment with his secretary for the following week. She left feeling good about herself again, but when she got home, she found a disconnection notice from the electricity company, a final notice on the telephone, and another reminder about her credit card. The following day, more disconcertingly, she received a package from the lawyer outlining his exorbitant rates and the cost she had already incurred. After putting the children to bed, Shelley drank the cask of red wine she'd bought the previous day and chain-smoked the cigarettes she could no longer afford to buy. The next day, she rang the lawyer and explained how she couldn't afford to pay. She was sorry she would have to drop the case. 
But then, in what Shelley tragically believed was a suggestive tone of voice, Garrison Moore said not to worry, it was fine, they could make arrangements, and she should come to his office the next day to discuss it. Shelley's caught in a sort of system that's overwhelmed her. Exactly. Um, so the first point is that the, that the one, I suppose, commonality I've looked for in the, in the real Simpson, who did die uh, at Gallipoli, and my um, reinvented Simpson, is that they both seem to have, have a caring nature. They both seem to care about people. So um, despite his great ambitions of finding the inland sea, um, he is, if you like, distracted along the way by these, by these characters he meets. And each of the characters, and Shelley Jakes is the first of them, uh, each of these characters has somehow fallen through the cracks, has somehow been let down by the system, as you, as you said. And they also represent a particular sort of tier or they element. Do. And, they do. They, 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 are, they are at the lower end of the socioeconomic uh, tier. They, they are the ones apparently who are supposed to be catching the trickle-down from the trickle-down effect, but they're not. Uh, the trickle-down hasn't happened um, so in a sense, the, the you know the, the the underpinning thing of the book is that is that Simpson walks Simpson walks this contemporary landscape, but he follows the gullies and ravines like the like the gullies back at Gallipoli. He's down in the lowlands, if you like. He's down with the people um, who have been who have been wounded, and Shelley Jakes is one of those who ha- who have been wounded by society and wounded particularly by this particular system. And that's the system that is doing more damage and, in fact, basically leads her further astray, shall we say? And don't we see that every day, how, you know, well-meaning, um, well-meaning systems uh, get people caught, caught up in them and, 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 and those people, um, you know, end up, you know, to relieve their suffering but end up suffering more as a result. And, yes, of course, uh, Shelley Jakes is a, is, is, is a desperate woman because circumstances may, circumstances you know have made her so. Yeah, um, we then come across Dennis Rycroft in the chapter entitled "An Unfortunate Life," which is a riff on uh, Facey's "A Fortunate Life." He's a returned veteran from Vietnam. Yeah, so he's the other military connection, I suppose, in the story. Um, a returned vet, uh, quite elderly. Um, um, and likewise, life has not treated him, treated him well. And I guess um, the, the, the kind of the underpinning thing of, of that story uh, and the thing that I guess my Simpson character connects to is that, um, is that he likewise has kind of been beaten down by life. Um, and, some, and, and, you know, he's had, a run of bad, he's had a run of bad luck upon run of bad luck. He's a farmer but, um, and, and a, from a generation of farmers. Um, and also the land has, 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 has likewise um, been bled dry and, uh, and he, can't, he can't make a living out of, out of what was formerly a profitable business. And so that whole notion of that, the rural potential mm. uh, on which you Absolutely, know, the David, sheep's back right. and all of Absolutely, that sort of thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Has, the old sheep's back story. <laughs> has gone. And yeah. in fact, I mean, the, the uh, soldier settlement the sort of uh, properties, many 
went to rack and ruin. Many went to rack and ruin. Oh. I mean, it was, you know, it was a kind of sort of a great, again, a great idea. The system comes up with a great idea that uh, ended up, le le you know, leading to bankruptcy and a lot of suffering. But a failure to understand the mm. landscape. A failure to understand the landscape. And, and what, what would be pretty, required. We're pretty, we're pretty good at that failure. <laughs> We've been very good at that one too. So poor Dennis um, had been in love with Mary Rose, but oh, yes. didn't come about. I mean, there's there's that pathos there, um, but then he got caught in a in a marriage um, that basically um, didn't work out, and there was a a daughter born four months post matrimorium, but he found out it wasn't his own. Mm. But but everything collapsed around him. Um, you know, there were sulfate salesmen um, who became land care consultants, but none of it actually helped. And the farm went to the dogs, which we're, mm. we're facing more and more. So there's a, another veteran. The Another interesting one is the joyless refugee, and that resonates. And you've got this joyless refugee sort of on that journey, having come and arrived in the country, uh, going from property to property, picking fruit or doing mm -hmm. whatever he can, working in an abattoir. But at one point uh, on page 88, um, he watched and waited for it to boil, but then he heard footsteps approach. A farmer had raised the alarm. The policeman asked to see Jarvid's papers. It's just a routine check, he said, while the farmer and a younger cop looked on. Jarvid's papers were in order, but his English let him down. He thought they were taking him back to the camp. He turned and jumped into the billabong, thrashing his way out towards the middle. He couldn't swim. He had never been able to do so. The older policeman took off his jacket, gun belt and shoes, raised his eyebrows at his co colleague and dived in after. A riff on uh, another Australian icon. Well, yeah, that's right. I suppose this this story, the Jollyless uh, refugee, wants a jolly. Swagment. The the Jollyless refugee is a sort of central and the longest uh, mm. tale, I suppose, in this in the book. Uh, and I guess it is central um, because that is where I suppose uh, the book starts to ask those fundamental questions about about the myth of Simpson and therefore the myth of who we are. And that is to say. I guess from from you know from the First World War onwards, the idea of this Simpson and his donkey story was that it tells us something about ourselves, and this something is that we are a, 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 an open and a caring uh, people. That as a nation, <clears throat> um, you know, we, we 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 help each other out. In 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 the old terminology, you look after your mates. You know, you help each other out. So the central story in the book is uh, a story about yes. Um, a refugee seeking seeking asylum in this country, who a little bit like um, old Dennis Rycroft, uh, just falls on hard times. That just nothing seems seems to go right for him. Um, Simpson finds him in a small town uh, in 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 Victoria, um, in a lonely park where there is the only uh, vegetation there is is an old lone pine, an Aleppo pine, one of the thousands that have since been grown from a seed brought back from Gallipoli. And, um, and, and Jarvid has sort of reached the end of the line, I suppose, reached the end of his tether after, after months and months in, the, in this country working shit jobs and 
um, and getting nowhere. And jobs that Australians themselves are reluctant to do. Yeah, often that's, of course, the case. You know, whether it be abattoirs or fruit picking or so on, that's often often the case in, in rural Australia. And he's been able to send money home uh, until there's a clampdown on this sort of transfer of money, so he that's can't... Right. Act, he's working for his his wife and children. Of course, and such for, like. as, 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 as many are, and... Um, and that also is is is, is stopped, and and uh, and maybe that is the last straw, I guess, that sort of uh, for for Javed. Yeah. yeah, and this really challenges this notion of who we are, this notion of mm. of mateship, because at one stage um, they called what I did mateship as if it really were a ship, some great vessel that would carry us all out of this quagmire into some glorious imagined future, a hulk full this time, not of humanity's detritus, but its best. I became an ethos, an affirmation on the one hand. But in this chapter then, you actually question um, that that notion, that that myth and what uh, it all stands for. This new generation of soft-skinned generals have turned their forebears' follies to their own marketing ends. We've become the symbol of the nation, thrown to our deaths by indifferent men, our courage and laughter in the face of adversity, now sells their snake oil for them. It gives some backbone to their spineless, snivelling, jellyfish souls. And so this myth of what we stand for, this mateship, uh, helping others with boundless planes to share, mm. etc. Um, now it's is being marketed, and yeah. it, it's become yeah. meaningless. It has become completely. It has become completely empty and meaningless. And you know, and it's those soft skin generals. Um, I mean, the book is the book is fundamentally, I suppose, a satire. And can I say that it's really important on this day that it's not a satire about Anzac or Gallipoli. It is a satire about those soft-skinned generals who continue to send people out for, yeah. as cannon fodder. Cannon fodder. Honestly, you know, and it's happening today. And then, and then, you know, take the myth, take the myth, grab the myth, turn it back around and, and make it stand under the flag and, 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 and worship it. What? So I find that sometimes quite obscene. <laughs> obscene. But what is interesting is often people have questioned the myth, should the Anzacs be deserving of the myth. You haven't done that. Mm, You've questioned mm. this whole notion of um, the mythology in itself. and It's it, the mythologising of it. You yeah. know, it's, not the, it's, not the, it's not the original event, which was tragic. And, yeah. you know, a, a tragic event. I, I was at the footy last night, you know, watching Richmond scrape a win and, um, you know, and stood with everyone else in silence. You know, I mean, of course, it's 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 you know, it's uh, it's a it's a it's a tragedy that young men and die. Women, you know, go off to war and die, and they should be commemorated. But you're challenging <laughs> then the fact that we've lost what these people represent. I do think sometimes that we have that we yeah. have, and that we're being sold some snake oil about mm. it as well. You know, and so people bring out the myth um, mm. for a marketing occasion, mm. but don't now understand or appreciate what it represents, what it means mm. to a nation, to a country, to a people. And I suppose when, you know, and for me, what as I said at the beginning, I think we sometimes um, swallow this stuff too easily. And my interest as a writer is to drill down into sort of things that we, that we know, we supposedly know and take for granted and to see to see what's really down there. And I think, I, I genuinely think this is one of them, and which is to simply ask the question, well, are we are what we say we are? And if not, how can we be better? Yeah. And how can we live up to the myth? And how can we live up to the myth? The if, myth is, if it the is myth mateship is, that we represent. The myth is great. The yeah. myth is fantastic. But are we really... Are we really living up to Are we to really it? these people? Yeah. Because 
there's a couple more chapters and we're going to have to rush towards the end here in many ways. You've got The Quiet Girl, which is the next chapter. Uh, we have Laura, dysfunctional family, abused, taken advantage of. Mm. I don't want to give too much away here, but she returns in the end and has a particular significance. There is an ending where we feel that um, I suppose the, the 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 multiple myths that I've kind of dredged up and played with um, that they are all coming to an end point where the Simpson character and his donkey find themselves out in a desert, a well-known kind of trope <laughs> of Australian literature, be it um, uh, be it Voss or or whatever Burke and Wills, yeah. Burke and Wills, and riffing on that again, um, and. And Simpson, in this last part, who is now, of course, the helper has become helpless, um, is helped by this character that appears in the last half of the book, a, a young woman who is who is silent, who doesn't speak, but who somehow um, kind of, I guess, more deeply understands this idea of looking after each other. And, and better than and anyone else. Better Even than anyone though else. She has been. Taken Even though she's been appallingly treated yeah. by, by and abused by by the contemporary world, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I'd hope that in some ways, that final uh, meeting, uh, that final moment in that almost cliche tr- um, landscape of the Australian desert. Um, suggests that there is hope and there, mm. there is some... There's also then uh, a chapter I've got to talk about, The Fallen Teacher. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> satellite bypassed students, etc. He's gone He's gone to the country with the great delusion, thinking uh, of what he will be able to achieve by teaching uh, the, the great unwashed, so to speak. Mm. But the school's closed down. He loses his job because of bureaucracy, basically. Well, you know, I mean, again, we we talk about you know sort of you know civilized society is a society that you know believes in education and and uh, for all and uh, and so on and and of course the teacher does have stars in his eyes. There's no question of that. Uh, goes to a country town to make a life there, and the school gets closed on uh, beneath him. He wouldn't. That wouldn't be the first time that a school has been closed in an area that needs a school. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and he, he ends up in a hospital that has been closed down. And he ends up down. in a hospital that was all, a country, a rural hospital has also been closed down for economic reasons, correct. Yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've got all of these, well, the teacher in many ways, because I like to elevate my own opinion of myself in terms of what we do as teachers to uh, transmit a culture, uh, an idea to perpetuate the uh, sort of canon of myth and ideas ideas that make us who we are that, that but the role the of the, but the you know also the role of an educator you know is is to encourage as Socrates would to encourage um, their, their, their pupils to ask questions and I think that probably is the is the thing that I I find that we 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 don't do enough that we we swallow whole what we're told um, and we don't ask enough questions so if if um, if you know the teaching profession, uh, could be put on a pedestal, then it, then that that that's the pedestal it should be put on. That is that it can, can you know, create that uh, you know a dialectic in a world that seems to be shouting just be, you know shouting at itself. You know? Yeah, but to to generate that discussion that's yeah, to needed, make, yeah, so to, that we do to make conversation. Uh, yeah, and mm. to understand what these myths are about, what mm. they represent, and how they reflect who we are. Mm. Mm. I think those you know like whatever whatever way 
um, whether it's uh, from you know through the education system. Uh, you know, you could dream and think that way. Well, maybe one day it might be through politics. God help us all. Um, <laughs> that we could, that, you know, that we can be, that we can be fair and equal in the way that we consider ourselves, and that is to say that we don't we don't prejudge, we don't pre, pre prejudice. We um, we we we're, we're more open and conversational. But this is what we need to do as a nation, as a country, to have these conversations. Totally we do, yes. To look at our own identity, to look at where it's going, because it's it's not a, a fixed thing. Uh, it's mutable and, and, and It's evolves. totally mutable. I mean, you know, it's it's we've got ourselves in a terrible, I think, in a terrible bog. Mm. And, 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 you know, only we can get ourselves out of it. But we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be, by yelling at each other and, and uh, you know, tweets at, tw- at twenty paces. Mm. You know, we need to have a, we need to have um, you know we need to have respectable conversations, and we need to ask tough questions, whether it be about Simpson and his donkey, donkey. or much tougher questions. Well, we, yeah, we need that. to enter that discourse, and that's what we've been doing today. The book is Simpson Returns. The author Wayne McCauley, a text release. Go out, read it now, and start to become part of that conversation about who we are as a nation. Thank you very much, Wayne. Thanks, David.